You are now listening to the March 14th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have biblical stewardship, sermon, and refining faith. First, let's begin with biblical stewardship. Hello everyone, this is Brian Winston with Biblical Stewardship. Last time we looked at the word in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and saw what the Bible says to those who are trying to become rich and those who are already rich. The Bible says it's dangerous to try to become rich on one's own when God didn't allow it. It's because one will be tempted, fall into a trap, and be tripped up by wanting many foolish and harmful things. Trying to become rich on one's own terms when God didn't allow it means that one loves money. Apostle Paul says many people who love money have wandered away from the faith. They have wounded themselves with many sorrows. Apostle Paul tells his spiritual son, Timothy, that he has seen this happen. What did he say to those who are already rich? He told them to use the riches that God has allowed not for oneself, but to do what is good, to be rich in doing good things, to give freely and be willing to share. If they don't do this, then those who are already rich will fall into the same danger as those who are trying to become rich. I hope this word from the Bible reached out to your soul. As I was preparing for biblical stewardship, what I wanted us to realize the most, was the correct concept of money. Unfortunately, it's because many people have completely opposite thoughts about money. I have mentioned this in the past, but among Korean Christians who grew up in the Confucian culture, there are those who think money is unlawful and despise mentioning or touching it. There are also those who think they should donate all their wealth and live a life of non-possession. On the contrary, there are those who say that they need money to do ministry, so they first accumulate it. There are also those who say if Christians live poorly, then they won't be a model to the worldly people, so they must be rich, so the worldly people will be envious. When we looked at the word of the Bible in this program, there wasn't any word in the Bible that supported these thoughts. The Bible doesn't say that money itself is wrong and that being rich itself is bad or being poor is bad. Therefore, we must not have this misunderstanding. Having money itself is not wrong. The problem is when we love money or when we don't use the money that was entrusted to us as stewards in a responsible way. Money is a tool. As servants in the kingdom of God, we need this tool to live here on earth. God, who is the master, entrusts however much he wants to those he wants. Therefore, we must not look to money, but look to the Lord who entrusts us with money, and we must train ourselves to use that money according to the Lord's will. When we take our attention away from God, who gave us the tool to do work in his kingdom, 
and instead begin to draw attention to the tool he has given us, which are possessions and money, then all kinds of difficulties occur. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable of the sower and interprets the seeds that fell among the thorns in this way. Let's read Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns is like others who hear the message, but then the worries of this life and the false promise of wealth crowd it out. They keep the message from producing fruit. Worries of this life and the false promises of wealth are in the same scripture. I believe that there is a very deep relationship between worry and false promises. The worries of this life make us anxious. Then we have a false promise that wealth will keep us from being anxious. So what's the reason why we diligently accumulate wealth? Is it because of the worries of this world? What if I starve? What if I don't have anything to wear or I don't have a place to live? What if I don't have money when I'm sick or I need to buy something? Are these worries that make us anxious? We've learned that Jesus said God feeds and clothes the birds in the air and flowers in the fields. However, we still don't believe the word in worry. We can't wait for Father God to feed and clothe us, so we start to accumulate wealth on our own to feed and clothe ourselves. Are we under the false promise that instead of God feeding and clothing us, wealth is feeding and clothing us? From Jesus' word, we can know how frightening the worries of this world and false promises of wealth can be. Think about Jesus' word again. Jesus says this, The seed that fell among the thorns is like others who hear the message. But then the worries of this life and the false promises of wealth crowded out. They keep the message from producing fruit. Isn't it amazing? Even though we hear the powerful word of God, the worries of this world and the false promises of wealth keep out the word so the word cannot bear fruit in our soul. Didn't we clearly see this truth in the story of the rich man we shared a while ago? Even though he met Jesus, who is the source of life, and he heard the word of life coming from Jesus' mouth, the worries of this world and false promises of wealth kept the word away so the rich man couldn't produce fruit and walked away. Through this, we see how frightening the worlds of this world and false promises of wealth are. When the rich man left, Jesus said this to the disciples, It is hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but it is even harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There are attempts in trying to interpret this word from Jesus in various ways. Here's one interpretation. The original meaning of an eye of a needle is a small door attached to the side of the castle gate, which was built for people to come and go during the night. For the camel to pass through, it had to take off its load and pass through in a low position. Therefore, this explains how difficult it was. Another interpretation is that the spelling of the word camel and rope is similar, so Jesus was really referring to a rope 
and not a camel. The effort to try to interpret Jesus' parable to make it seem like it wasn't impossible for the rich man to enter heaven means one doesn't realize the intention of what Jesus was telling the disciples. The intention of trying to shove a camel into a door that one person could barely fit through or the intention of shoving a rope into an eye of a needle instead of a camel all means turning away from Jesus' word. Jesus is saying that as he looks at the man turning away from eternal life because of his attachment to the wealth he loves, rich people who love possessions and accumulate a lot of wealth give up going to heaven because of their heart of loving wealth. Remember this, the problem is not about having a lot of wealth or a small amount of it. The problem is having the heart of loving wealth or not. God can make us rich or poor. If God wants, he can make all the wealth disappear in a moment or make wealth gather in one moment. Our Father God is the Creator. Heaven and earth belongs to Him, and everything in the world belongs to Him. Therefore, He can give the things He wants to the person He wants. This is the work He does, and it's not the work we do. What we need to do is faithfully serve Him who is in charge of everything and not invest our lives trying to accumulate the things that are not in our control. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 28 says, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but those who do right will be as healthy as a green leaf. A righteous person realizes one is a sinner and only depends on God. When we trust and depend on God like this, then true joy and satisfaction that the world cannot give will overflow within us and the worries of this world and false promises of wealth will disappear. Be careful of the worries of this world and false promises of wealth. That ends today's session of Biblical Stewardship. Thank you for listening. Unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Help My Unbelief. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. So one of the defining marks of being a Christian is something that we just sang about, and that is we are a people that live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Yeah, this is what we do. And uh, we know this because, not just because we sang about it, because the Bible says as much. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now we live in a world where everyone around us is doing just the opposite. We live in a world where what we can see, taste, and touch is king, right? We live in the scientific age where science is the new God. And so only what, again, what we can see, observe, measure, and test, these are the things that we will believe and trust in. This is really the standard of the world today. The idea of living by faith is absolutely repugnant to those who hold a naturalistic worldview. You understand that. Those that hold a naturalistic worldview look at people like you and me, and they think we are weak-minded, superstitious, or something worse. They see us as having our faith as a crutch for something in our lives that we lack, you know, and so we run to our Bible and we run to our faith. And so this is the world we live in. And yet, despite all of that, we are called clearly in the scriptures to be a people that walk by faith. Now, perhaps the defining verse on faith is found in Hebrews 11.1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, I want you to focus on those two words just for a second. Assurance and conviction. Assurance and conviction. As Christians, we don't live in a world where God probably exists. We live in a world where we know he exists. We have assurance and conviction about it, so much so that we based our entire lives on that truth. Really, the truly absurd position is to say that everything we see just popped into existence from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. You tell me what the absurd position is to hold. We look at this universe and the great order and the great design and the great beauty, and we say, wow, that's incredible. That popped into existence from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. Just incredible. This is a type of faith that those who hold this view, the naturalistic worldview you hold to, it's a blind faith. You and I are a people of faith, but it is not a blind faith. We trust in a God who has created all things seen and unseen. Now, because Christians know that God exists, we don't just live our lives based upon what we can see, taste, and touch. We live with a radical faith in the one true God. But let's be honest at this point. 
Walking by faith, living by faith can be scary, can it not? It's scary sometimes to walk by faith. It can be horrifying sometimes. It is so much easier to trust what we can see than what we can't see. And that is why, folks, and this brings us to to what I'm getting at right here. That is why one of the most radical prayers that you can ever pray is this. Three simple words, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Now, we can state it another way. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. Help my unbelief. And that brings us to our passage today. So church, it is my honor to present to you the word of God today, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 17. Now, I asked, how many of you like the scriptures up on the screen? How many of you think I should challenge you to open your Bibles? So beginning in verse uh, Mark chapter 9, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often casts him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I'm going to stop right there. This brings us to one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. Church, it's my honor to present to you the word of God this morning. So like the father in this passage, we are all going to find ourselves in situations where the faith that we have inside of us isn't as strong as we want it to be. It might be a health issue, a financial issue, a family issue, a career issue, a relationship issue. I don't know. There's plenty of issues in life, but there are going to be circumstances in which the problem in front of us seems bigger than the faith inside of us. You ever been there? Yeah, where the problem in front of you seems bigger than the faith inside of us. Yeah, we're, we've all been there. In, in a room this size with this many people, I'm sure there's plenty of you in here today that have a problem in front of you that seems bigger than the faith inside of you. It is in those moments we have an opportunity to pray an incredibly radical prayer. And it is this, help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Strengthen my trust in you, Lord. And really, this is a prayer that we should be praying all the time even when things in our lives are relatively calm. As a matter of fact, this is a prayer that we should be praying, especially when things in our life are calm. What is interesting is that many of us spend a lot of our prayer time asking for God to take away our problems and for God to calm the waters and to give us smooth sailing, right? I know that we pray these prayers because I pray those prayers. And while there's nothing necessarily wrong with praying those types of prayers, The danger is that if the waters are always calm, there isn't much opportunity to exercise great faith, is there? When the waters are always calm, there's no need to exercise great faith. Charles Spurgeon once said, a dead calm is our enemy. A storm may prove our helper. Think about that. A dead calm is the enemy of a Christian. 
a storm may prove our helper. Sometimes the very best thing God can do for us is to allow a situation to come into our lives that causes us to cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, increase my faith. Whatever you do in this lifetime, don't make worldly judgments about yourself. Don't look at the world and ask, gosh, am I doing what everyone else in the world is doing? You are not to be doing what everybody else in the world is doing. Why? Because you are a Christian. Let me give you a perfect example of where this happens. We look at the world and we go, gosh, this is the type of life I'm supposed to be living. And yet in the scriptures, it's just the opposite. A perfect example of that is this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. When problems come into the life of a non-believer, they mourn over that. They go, woe is me. But we as Christians, we rejoice because we know that God is testing our faith in that moment. He's refining us, and he's casting us and molding us into the image of his son. But listen, we don't have to wait for God to bring tough times into our life before we start praying this prayer. God, give me a stronger, deeper, richer faith. Mature my faith. Grow my faith. Help any unbelief that I have hidden in my heart. You might remember that even the disciples asked the Lord to do this very thing. Remember this? Luke chapter 17. They're asking Jesus about forgiveness. And Jesus says this, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Don't you wish that Jesus just stopped the verse right there? (laughs) unfortunately he doesn't but if your brother sins rebuke him amen Jesus let's go home if your brother sins rebuke him if he repents he's going to say it I know he's going to say it forgive him and if he sins against you seven times in the day turns to you seven times saying I repent you must forgive him and the apostle said to him Lord increase our faith isn't it fascinating that the disciples cry out Lord increase our faith in connection with forgiveness Do you want to know one of the times in your life when you're going to need great faith? Let me give you two examples when you're going to need great faith. The first example I gave you is when the father brought his son who is being oppressed by a demon. It's in spiritual warfare. You're going to need great faith when it comes to spiritual warfare, but you're going to need great faith when it comes to the issue of forgiveness. Because there are going to be people in your life and you're going, Lord, I don't think I have it in me to forgive that person. And if that's you, guess what? I get it. I get it. I don't know that I have it in me sometimes to forgive the people that hurt me. But it's in those moments that I need to cry out, Lord, increase my faith so that I can forgive them as you call me to forgive them, that I might have the faith to forgive the one that stands in front of me. John Piper said this, let us pray daily. Oh Lord, thank you for my faith. Sustain it, strengthen it, deepen it. Don't let it fail. Make it the power of my life so that in everything I do, you get the glory as the great giver. Amen. I could ask you right now, what is the power of your life? Look at that. Don't let it fail. Make it the power of my life. What is the power of your life? Is it your pension? Is it your family? Is it your wit? Is it your charm? What is it that gives you power? It's our faith. Our faith in the one true living God is the thing that needs to drive us. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith in the one true living God. But it's the end of this that I want us to focus on. You get the glory as the great giver. Amen. The reason, folks, that I can pray to God to sustain, strengthen, and deepen my faith, to enrich it and mature it, is precisely because God himself is the author and and perfecter of our faith. And the reason I know that is because the scriptures say as much. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely. 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Other versions say looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Either way, the point is crystal clear. Faith is a gift of God. I always ask people this question, name one thing that you have that hasn't been given to you by God from above. The answer is you can't because everything you have is a gift of God, including your faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Incidentally, nearly all the early church fathers judged the words, it is a gift of God. As referring to faith, this was the exegesis of those that spoke the Greek language and were familiar with this peculiar Greek construction. See, if faith isn't a gift of God, if faith is something that you muster up, then you have something to brag about. I mustered it up when other people didn't. But if it's a gift of God, then there's nothing that you can boast about. But I want you to notice something else. God is not only the author or founder of our faith, he is the perfecter of our faith. Amen? In other words, the one who gives the faith will also sustain, strengthen, and grow it. And that is why we can be bold in praying this prayer, God, do what you must do to strengthen my faith in this generation. God, transform any unbelief that I have hidden in my heart and transform it into a vibrant faith that trusts in you at all times and in all ways. By the way, you want to know why you pray this prayer? Here's why you pray this prayer, because a little bit of faith has the power to affect massive, massive, massive change. Need proof? Here's the proof. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, ouch. Hey, Jesus, what's the problem? Uh, the problem is you lack faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Folks, faith isn't just a difference maker. It is a game changer. It is an absolute game changer. And you and I would be foolish not to beseech God daily to God, just grow my faith, please. Strengthen my faith, mature my faith. Help, help me root out any unbelief that I have in my heart. Now, this is a prayer that comes with a warning. Saints, be warned. When you pray a prayer like this, expect God to answer. Amen? He will answer. God will honor a prayer like this because it is God's will that we as his children have an ever-increasing faith. The Apostle Paul praised God for the growing faith of the early church. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of everyone of you for one another is also increasing. But here's the deal. Prepare yourself for God to accomplish this in your life by testing your faith, stretching your faith, refining your faith, cultivating your faith, often in ways you didn't see coming. Did you hear that last part? He's going to test your faith, stretch your faith, refine your faith, and cultivate your faith, often in ways you didn't see coming. He's going to bring trials into your life. He's going to bring things into your life that you didn't see coming, that you didn't necessarily want and you're in that moment, you're going to be tempted to respond as the world would respond. You're going to go, woe is me. I got this thing in my life. Bummer. How quickly can I get it out of my life? But the proper way to respond, the biblical way to respond is 
to count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish your work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. See, the danger for most of us is what we really want out of life is a life of ease and comfort, not a life of courageous faith. And you know how I know that? Because that's what I want. My flesh wants an easy life. And I live in a society where that's the goal, that's the standard. Listen, folks, if you want to coast to the end, you can coast to the end. No one is better positioned in the world today to coast to the end of their lives than you and I living in the richest country in the world. And that is the goal of this society. Get all you can, get as comfortable as you can, and coast to the end. And yet the scriptures are calling us to do just the opposite, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus, to live with a radical faith in this generation. That is what we're called to do. The choice is yours. No one is better positioned to coast to the end than you and me. We pray that way. Listen, folks, there's going to come a day in which you don't have to walk by faith any longer, but it is not going to be in this lifetime. Till the day you die or till the day that Jesus returns, ask God, beseech him, stir my faith, strengthen my faith. Lord, root out any unbelief and let me live radically in this generation. Listen, folks, most of you will never be a senator or a president. You will never hold a position of great power. You may not have a lot of money. It doesn't matter. Ask God to raise you up, to be a person of radical faith in this generation, and you will change the world. Make it your prayer. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, increase my faith. Now, what I'm about to say is going to really shake you. Are you ready for what I'm about to say? I don't think you are, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do not put any restrictions on this prayer. Do not put any restrictions on this prayer. Ask God to increase your faith by any and all means. Because it is that important. Your goal in this lifetime is not to live a comfortable life. Your goal in this lifetime is to be used by God in radical ways. And so, Lord, increase my faith by any and all means so that I can spend my days serving you in radical ways. Listen, when I, I've told you this before. When I get to the end of my life, I want to enter heaven exhausted and worn out. Do you? I want the Lord to say, enter into your rest, and I actually need it right? I'm afraid too many Christians, I've said this before, are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, enter in your rest. And they're going to say, I'm not tired because you didn't do anything. You coasted to the end. And I mean this, guys. I know that's funny, but I, I mean it. Nobody is better positioned in the world today to coast to the end of their lives than you and me. We live in the richest country in the world with the most money in the world. We have pensions and retirement accounts and everything else. And you go, well, I don't have that big of a retirement account. It's better than most people's. Nobody's better positioned to coast to the end. Whatever you do, don't bite that hook. Don't bite that bait. That's not why God puts you on this planet to coast to the end. He puts you on this earth to be used by him till the day you die or to the day he comes back. Amen? Amen. We live in the greatest country in all the world. And by the way, this prayer, help my unbelief. We often, we read something like that and we go, gosh, that's a prayer that other people need to pray. You know who needs to pray this prayer? Not Christians in other countries. Us. This is the prayer we who are living in the richest country in the world, need to be praying. We of all people need to pray this prayer more than anyone else, more than any other Christian on the face of this planet. We need to pray this prayer. It's possible to be a Christian who never really finds themselves in a position where faith is even need to be exercised at all. That is apparently what happened to at least one church in the first century. That is the church at Laodicea. 
Revelation 3.17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I need nothing. You know what nothing includes? Faith. I need nothing. I don't even need faith because I got plenty of money, plenty of food, plenty of clothes. I got a house. I got everything I need. I need nothing, including faith. Folks, when you find yourself saying, I need nothing, be on your guard. And I mean it. Be on your guard. Because your willingness to walk by faith might be in jeopardy. And you don't want that. As a Christian, you don't want it. I know your flesh wants it because my flesh wants it. I want to coast to the end. I don't want to have to be put in a situation where it requires great faith. That's what my flesh wants. But when I find myself going, gosh, the waters are calm and I need nothing. Isn't life great? Be on your guard. While wealth and prosperity can be a wonderful blessing, it can also be a curse to those of us who are Christians, right? Can you imagine the world going, riches can be a curse? I mean, some people might think that, or, but most people go, I want to be rich. I want to have everything I need. We as Christians understand there's an inherent danger in that. The danger is, is that I've got so much that I need so little, including faith. Now, here's where it gets interesting. What happens is the non-Christians in this country never really get to see the Christians in this country living with any radical type of faith. Because a radical faith isn't needed when you've got everything covered, when all your bases are covered. Listen, one of the greatest ways that you will impact this generation isn't your claim to faith, it is your walk of faith. Do you ever wonder why everybody in my life knows I'm a Christian, but I don't really seem to be impacting them? Why is that? Well, you're faithful in your witness. You're faithful with your mouth and telling them you're a Christian. Good for you. But if you're never in a situation where they see you living out your faith, trusting in the one true God, stepping out in faith and watching him powerfully provide for you and work through you, they're missing out on a huge part of your testimony. That's one of the reasons you say, Lord, increase my faith. Put me in situations by any and all means, God, where I have to trust you so that those around me who don't know you can see me trusting in you and can see your faithfulness that they might trust in you. Many of us are comfortable telling other people about Jesus. Are you ready to live with a radical faith in him? Are you ready for God to put you in situations where your faith will be put to the test? When the secular humanistic society we are living in sees us walking by faith, not just talking about our faith, they won't be able to deny it. They will not be able to deny it. Do you remember how Paul opened up his letter to the Romans? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Folks, at the end of your life and my life, that is all that is going to matter is that we made an impact in this generation, that our faith impacted this world. Folks, if you want to play it safe, if you want to secure an easy life, it's yours for the taking. It is literally yours for the taking. No one on this planet is better positioned to coast to the end than you and me. It's yours for the taking. And it's very, it's not hard to take. It's yours. Coast. No one's better positioned to do it than you and me. But I would encourage you, as the scriptures do, not to bite that hook. Don't take that bait. Remember why you have been put on this planet. You have not been put on this planet to play it safe and to live your life in obscurity and comfort and then coasting to the end. You have been put here and called by God to make an impact in this generation. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. Amen? God has prepared a work for you. Ask him to give you the faith to do that work. God, increase my faith so that I can do a mighty work in this generation. See this verse right here? You know what this verse says? This verse says this. People of faith impact the world. 
People of faith impact the world. Look at First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Like I said, many of you will never be a president or a senator or a mayor. Many of you will not have a lot of money or a lot of influence in the world. And you're going, well, how can I impact the world? Here's how you impact the world. Be a person of faith in this generation. Ask God to root out any unbelief, to increase your faith, to mature your faith at any and all costs. That's how important it is, folks. This life you are leading is but a breath. You are here today and gone tomorrow. Do not waste your life. Don't. If you get to the end of your life with nothing by worldly standards, no wealth, and you've lost everything by worldly standards, but you enter into the gates of heaven with riches in heaven, praise God for that. Do not hold tightly to the things of this world, to the gods of this age. Ask God to increase your faith. God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Root it out. Strengthen my faith. Encourage my faith. Sustain my faith. Ask God, and here's what it really boils down to. Ask God to give you an eternal perspective. This is what it comes down to. Ask God to give you an eternal perspective so that you may be motivated to walk with a radical faith each and every day. Lord, get my eyes off this world, please. Because the temptation is strong and my flesh is weak and God, I want to trust in the things of this world. I want to trust in the gods of this age. I want to coast to the end like everybody else is trying to do. I want to get as much as I can and live in obscurity and have a nice easy life to the end. That's the last thing you want. You want to be a prophet in this generation. You want to be bold and courageous with your faith, even if it costs you everything. I trust me, you'll get to the end of your life and you will not regret that. If you get to the end of your life and you have played it safe, that's where the regret's going to come in. That's where the regret will come in. And that is why, folks, one of the most radical prayers you can pray consists of three simple words. Help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Don't be content listening to the testimonies of others who have stepped out in faith. If you're always listening to the testimonies of other Christians that have stepped out in faith and are doing radical things, let today be the day that that ends. Be one of those Christians that has a testimony of, God, I stepped out in faith and you're not going to believe what God did. Ask God to fill your life with one encounter after another in which you are, if need be, forced to display faith. God, put me in a position where there's no other option and I must display my faith in you. It might be a scary prayer to pray. It is. I get it, folks. It's, hor- it's terribly scary to pray this prayer. I- I'm scared to pray it. But I guarantee you, you will never regret it. Because it will, in the end, result in you being a person who time and again walked in faith in this generation, and your acts of faith will literally echo into eternity. Your acts of faith will literally be reported around the world. And can I prove that to you? We have missionaries that just went down to Berlin, Bolivia. The faith of those at Arizona Community Church is re- being reported in Berlin, Bolivia. Our missions director, also, that was Tina. She led a group down there. We led, a, led another group down to Brazil. Our faith is being reported in Brazil. We have missionaries in Europe and across the, the Middle East. The faith of those at Arizona Community Church is literally being reported around the world. Did you know that? Your faith is being reported around the world. I bet many of you came here today and didn't even realize that. Remember, and I'll finish with this. Remember Jesus' words? Remember after Jesus rose from the dead, he began to appearing to his disciples, but there was one disciple that had trouble believing. You remember what disciple that was? 
it was Thomas. Thomas wouldn't believe. He, he didn't have the faith to believe. And then he finally encounters Jesus. He said, I only believe if I see the wounds in his hand and the wounds in his side. And when he finally sees Jesus, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? You sense the disappointment in Jesus' voice. It took this for you to believe, Thomas. And then he says these words, perhaps some of the most powerful words in all of the scriptures. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are those who walk by faith and not by sight, who don't need to see and yet trust me. And see, folks, we are either here today as representatives of Thomas, those who are willing to only trust God if it's easy, safe, and he tells us everything and makes it simple, or those who are going, God, I don't need to see to believe. I will trust you and walk in faith and follow you in obedience no matter where you call me, whenever, whatever, wherever, God, you want me to go and do, I will do it. That's a radical prayer, and it's not easy. I'm not sitting here pointing fingers, folks. I struggle to pray this prayer. It is a scary prayer to pray, but again, folks, Whatever you and I do in this lifetime, let's not waste our lives. Amen? Let's just not waste our lives. A choice is yours. So if I may be so bold to finish with a question, what do you desire more? Be honest. A life of comfort and ease or a life of courageous faith? Again, folks, no one is better positioned in this world to coast to the end than you and me. The question is, will you bite that hook or will you trust God and ask him to stir your faith, strengthen your faith, build your faith, mature your faith, root out any unbelief that you may follow him with a radical faith in this generation and impact the world. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you this day. And God, we lift this three-word prayer to you. Help my unbelief, increase my faith. God, it is a scary prayer to pray for all of us. But Lord, that is what you want for us, and so that's what we want for ourselves. Lord, our flesh will fight against us. Our flesh and the world around us will try to pull us away from being people of faith. God, the the pressure is to coast. The pressure is to lead, God, that simple life that where we're left alone and we just coast to the end. God, may we not be people that bite that hook. In the quietness of your heart, I want you to spend just a moment in private prayer. Ask God to root out any unbelief. If there's a situation where you're struggling with faith, let him know that and cry out, beseech him. Do that now. If you find yourself struggling to have faith to forgive someone, ask God to strengthen your faith. If like the father in the story that we read today, you're encountering spiritual warfare, ask God to increase your faith. God, it is our desire that by any and all means, you would make us people sold out for you in this generation. Even if it costs us everything, Lord, may we be sold out for you, walking with a radical faith in you each and every day of our lives. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And the church said with me, amen.
Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries has the opportunities for anyone to volunteer in editing, producing the program, or even reviewing the broadcasts at our office. You don't have to be an expert. We are excited to teach anyone that is willing to learn. If you are interested in learning how to be an editor, producer, or even a reviewer, please contact us at 602-866-8999 or email us at heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Coming up next is Refining Faith. Hello listeners, this is Sharon Lee with the Refining Faith. Last time, we shared the meaning of the word refining from the Bible and learned that it has a different meaning from what we thought as the process of melting metals to remove impurities to obtain pure gold and silver. We specifically learned about the meaning of the word refining in Hebrew from the Old Testament. Do you still remember the Hebrew word for refining? We learned that it is bahan, meaning to test or to verify. If the metal is gold, we'll be able to verify it is real gold by melting it. So biblically speaking, refining is a process of having our faith verified to see if our faith is true by testing it. Today, we are going to learn about the Greek meaning of the word refining found in the New Testament. There are two words for refining in Greek language. Let's take a look at several verses. First, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline yourself. The Greek word used in this verse is gymnazo, and it means to exercise or to train. We get our English word gymnasium from this word. Therefore, it means we must train ourselves to be holy, just as we train our body to be healthy. Now let's take a look at Romans chapter 5 verse 4. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. In this verse, refining is not used as a gymnasium, but as dokime, and it means to test, to trust, to verify, or to suffer. Doesn't it have the similar meaning as bahan in Hebrew used in the Old Testament? There are a few places where the meaning of dokime is translated in more detail. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Here, so that I might put you to the test, is the refining word, dokime, in Greek. And in the first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, Paul writes, that in a great ordeal of affliction, 
And here it is translated as to suffer. So even in the New Testament, refining is the process of verifying if our faith is the true faith, just as from the Old Testament. Also, sometimes we even have to go through suffering in order to prove our faith. We usually think that our faith grows through suffering, hardship, and refining. But the Bible tells us that our faith is verified or proven through suffering, hardship, and refining. Not that we are verifying the faith ourselves, but God is revealing the faith we possess through His refining. Not that we are verifying the faith ourselves, but God is revealing the faith we possess through His refining. Now that have we learned the deeper meaning of a refining, which means to verify to God that our faith is true, let's read Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 again. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. What do you think? Isn't the meaning clearer to you now to understand this passage than before? How can we, as believers, be happy in our suffering? We can be happy because when we persevere through the suffering during our difficult times, that persevering or refining verifies that our faith is true, and such a verification becomes our hope. We tell ourselves, surely my faith is the faith that delivers me to salvation, and we have a hope for heaven, and we will be assured of our salvation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? We must verify ourselves if we are to have the faith that delivers us to salvation. The Bible tells us to test ourselves, that test is the Greek word dokimazo from dokimos, which means refining. Refining is not something to be afraid of. Refining is a way of verifying our faith. Suffering, testing, trials, and tribulation, and refining. All these help us to verify if our faith is the true faith that delivers us to salvation. Don't you want to check your own faith? Aren't you curious to see if your faith is true? Then don't be afraid of the test that God is allowing you to go through. We have nothing to be worried about because difficult times brings about perseverance. Perseverance brings about proven character and proven character brings about hope. That is all for today's Refining Faith. Until next time, goodbye.
became sin Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness He humbled Himself And carried the cross Love so
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.